And sometimes helping is not helping. It all depends what the help looks like. One particular client I remember, her debt wasn't big. I more or less said, I'll pay this off and we'll start again. But in no time at all, she was back in debt. So it wasn't teaching her the skills to deal with her situation. It was just me feeling really sorry, mostly for her kids. You do come across quite a number of people in those situations who are really, really trying. They're trying hard. You can see they've got a little veggie patch outside the door. Their house is clean. They're trying hard to make ends meet, but they just can't do it. There's just not enough. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. I'm Andy Dixon, and it's good to have you here. On the podcast so far, I've had a huge range of people, uh, some really well known, others not, some with a huge social media following and others without a social media presence at all. But I think that this is the most excited I've been about an episode so far, uh, probably because of how personal this is for me. Yesterday, it was Mother's Day here in New Zealand, and today you get to hear from Les and Ellen Dixon, my mum and dad. Having this corridor with them was very moving for me, but also it was a huge reminder that they're a really big part of why I value what I value. Their commitment to people and love for all is clear throughout the discussion, and while they see themselves as nothing special, they are involved in so much goodness in the world that I feel like we only just scratched the surface. We talk about disability support, budget advice, food parcels, offering extra help to those who need it, journeying with people struggling with physical or mental health, and importantly, what they've learned about themselves through their journey. It really is an honour to present these two to you all. This is episode 27 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Les and Ellen Dixon. have the wonderful privilege today of having a conversation with my mum and dad. Welcome mum and dad. Thank you. Uh, and I guess the, the most important question to get out of the way is who's your favourite son? <laughs> Not playing. <laughs> Not going to answer that one. <laughs> okay. Depends. <laughs> Depends on the moment. Depends which one's not asking you to do an interview you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners, obviously I know you fairly well. Mm. Uh, do you want to just explain a little bit of who you are and, and where you're from? Well, I'm from Timaru originally, uh, born there, went to school there, uh, went to university in Christchurch and then moved to Hawke's Bay, my first job, and in between times played a lot of sport in Hawke's Bay after a little while, I went on a blind date at Nurses Ball and met a lovely lady, and here she is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Mum? Where are you from? Yes, I'm, I'm from the east coast of the North Island, Gisborne, and I grew up there and then went off to university at Massey in Palmerston North, and then back to Hawke's Bay to do my nursing training, and that's where I met Al. You were really young when you went to uni, weren't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> they both, they both were. Well, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. 17 in my first year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just turned 17 as well. Wow. Mm. Man, I can even imagine being ready for university at 17. But I, yeah, but I guess it was kind of the how it was back then. Yeah, right. and it was um, like going from Gisborne, you were going into the hostels. So you were sort of into a formal situation or a yeah. kind of organised situation. So that helped. Yeah. It was miles though. I remember hopping on the rail car and saying to my parents, oh, we probably won't come home at Easter, you know, it's too soon kind of thing. And come Easter, we were on that rail car and home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk a bit today about some of the stuff you guys do or have done over the years, um, which I guess generally could be termed as acts of service or, you know, serving others. Mm-hmm. Is that something that was role modelled to you growing up? Yes, certainly by my mum. She's um, very good at seeing needs and figuring out how to meet them. And yeah, she's the kind of person that was um, yeah looking for ways to help, I guess. And and that's become a great big part of who I am. Yeah, I guess that's true for my parents too. My mum, yeah, she got involved in quite a few mm. organisations and. Did the mothering, mm. um, and my my dad was certainly a school teacher. Um, he was involved in a lot of. Uh, well, he was a good school teacher, so he got involved in people's lives and mm. and uh, was involved in quite a few organisations, sporting and school organisations. And even when he retired, he he was involved in lots of different mm-hmm. things around town. Yes, so yeah, they certainly did. So I think when you say doing the mothering, I mean you you were one of four and Mum you were one of five. Mm. So that was that's actually quite a big act of service is just looking after your own kids. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I remember Dad going to your mum's funeral, and I guess we had gone down for holidays and stayed with them, but I hadn't seen her acting in kind of her normal life operation mode because she would put some of that on hold to spend time with us when we were down there and. I remember sitting at the funeral and, and having people saying, you know, she went and visited the elderly in the rest homes and mm. she, um, you know, made food for different events that were going on and she was a big part of the Presbyterian women's group and things and, and just thinking, wow, that's, you know, so much of the stuff that I had no idea that that's what, what she did mm. and yet she just got on and did it, not in a flashy way of, hey, look at me, but just doing good things in the world. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah, same for my dad, I guess, you know, mm. going to his funeral and always knew that he had an impact on people's lives and with his teaching and other things he did, but just seeing so many people came um, yeah. and acknowledging that in many cases that he'd changed their lives around. Yeah, mm. well, yeah. The first kind of, of my memories, I guess there, there's a lot of you guys... Uh, and the ways that you would have helped people that I haven't seen. But the first mm. kind of big way for me was seeing you, Mum, get involved in disability support. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was a big part of your life for a long time. Yeah. Do you want to just tell us how or how and why you got involved in that? And then what did that end up looking like for you? Okay, so I started off trying to learn sign language because I have a sister, Bev, who is deaf. And um, she learned sign language later in life because she went to school and and just did the same as us and then uh, mum 
started learning the Australasian Sign Language and teaching other people and I thought, you know, I should do this too. And eventually that got me a part-time job helping out at the Deaf Association in Taradale. And yeah, that was that was good. It was mostly in the background lyrically stuff, mm. but it got me looking at the deaf community and beginning to understand how that was different from other people and eventually led to a job as a teacher aide at Havelock North High. And so I was a teacher aide there for four years for a very delightful deaf girl, very intelligent, but hampered by her inability to communicate well. Mm. And so I was her communicator and note taker in class. And um, yeah, she ended up with four school C's, which we were super impressed about because that was pretty hard for her and a lot of extra work and um, yeah so then I also worked with another student who was hearing impaired and she was coming down or wanted to come to Christchurch to do her nursing she I'd worked for her doing her enrolled nursing in Hawke's Bay her parents paid me to be the, her night taker and then she wanted to come down and, and do the registered nursing course and it just coincided with the time that we were moving to Christchurch. So her parents flew both of us down and we went to the Polytech and said, um, if Sarah gets into the course and wants to do it, can I be her note taker? So I came to Christchurch with a job to do. That eventually led to working as a note taker for lots of other people at the Polytech and then into the office where I... Um, helped with arranging reader writers for exams and interpreters and now I just do a little tiny bit of reader writing when they haven't got enough people so I'm more or less retired. I guess that some of that shows the uh, development in disability services Mm. over the last number of years too because to think now of a a deaf student wanting to go and do a course and their parents having to find their own Mm. note taker that actually just blows my mind when I think about it because I, I kind of expect that there would be that support for people. Yeah. Um, but but you started back in the time where that wasn't the normal. Um, mm. Has that been something really positive that you've seen? Is that that's become more normal? Yes, absolutely. That that um, especially at Polytech and with the disability um, that people have dyslexia becoming more recognised and various learning disabilities then um, supports become more available and so the the staff at Polytech going from one disability coordinator when I first started working there they've now got several um, people who work sometime, some full-time and some part-time and then a big army of note-takers and reader-writers who support students with their learning mm. which is just amazing even just doing the exams it you just you're just enabling somebody to get their ideas down onto paper. So you're more or less like a, a conduit, if you like, mm. for um, enabling them to show what they know, um, which they wouldn't be able to do by themselves. So, yeah, it's a very fulfilling thing to do. Mm. I did a, a few months of note-taking for you when I first moved to Christchurch, mm. and I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. And not only were you helping people, but I guess when I look at my key strengths, you know, my top strength is being a learner. Mm. And uh, so I just loved going and sitting in classes and taking notes like it was my own class. And so I learned about plumbing and yeah. <laughs> and, and a whole bunch of other, particularly trade stuff um, yeah. that I was at architecture. 
um, writing some notes for, for guys that actually would be perfectly fine to do the job. Yes. But for them to try and take all these notes while listening and comprehending what's going on in class would have been a real struggle for them Mm. and would have ruled them out in the past. Mm. Whereas now you can actually just help them along and, and um, get them to a point where they can do the job Mm. Uh, and it's, you're not doing it for them. You're just assisting them to do it uh, because they can't uh, otherwise, like it's a barrier for them, I guess. And you're just removing that barrier. Another area you, you got into uh, I guess, while you were still doing that was budget support. Dad's the accountant, but <laughs> but you got into budget advice mm. um, and budget support, which means that I am very clued up on finances, <laughs> um, which I remember going to a finance workshop actually and hearing the person say, don't pay off a credit card with a credit card. And I was like, People do what? <laughs> um, but I guess that just the way you guys brought us up. But mm. um, what was it that got you interested in in working with Kingdom Resources, doing the budget support? Well, I just felt that that was a skill that I had, um, being able to manage money reasonably well, and that a lot of people don't. That they don't have the idea of how it all works, and um, and there are barriers to that also in our society we're not taught a lot about how to manage money Mm. and there are also lots of traps even higher purchase way back you know was a thing that people got into without realizing how much it was going to cost them and you know now you can walk in and have 24 months interest free or something like you know there Mm. there are things that entice people to to shop when they can't afford to pay for things Mm. because they don't have to pay now oh they'll pay later kind of thing and I just saw that there's a real need for people to yeah get a handle on how money works and the fact that you can't spend everything that you get every week and then be able to pay your bills and and even that basic thing is missing in some people's lives they they just spend what they have Mm. and so then they're spend it all two days after the wages come in and they're trying to survive somehow till the next week so yeah I just just felt that that was an area that I was good at and that I might be able to impart some skills to other people doesn't always work Mm. and people have to want it of course Mm. sometimes people came because wind sent them or you know that sort of thing and so they weren't very um, cooperative but also had some great successes, people whose lives mm. were really changed around by them just seeing how it worked and grabbing hold of that and making it work for them. Mm. And that's been really exciting. It's really one of those cases of you don't know what you don't know, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that if you've got someone who's prepared to take the time to help you know it, that could mean the world to someone. Yep. Uh, what make. did the job actually involve? Because it was m- more than just you passing on some tips and tricks, wasn't it? Yeah, um, you're basically uh, assessing someone's situation of debt, which they would all, always be in debt probably when they came to Kingdom Resources, and then working through with them, um, you know, how to how to pay that off, which things to do first, talking to to people about, um, talking to the people that they owed, and trying to work things out that way, and making smaller payments, but just just looking at ways um, but I 
do remember saying to a lot of people it's a very brave thing to do because if you tell someone how you spend your money you're really telling them how you live yeah. you know you're telling them about your whole life because that's that's all involved and and mm. how you make your decisions and whatever and so you know it makes them quite vulnerable really to to you as a um a budget advisor but also then being able to walk alongside and encourage them and um kingdom resources is a budget advice service that um, teaches people to do their own thing. They they don't take people's money off them and handle it themselves. So they have to learn how how to manage it. And so they make a few mistakes, and you you walk alongside and you mm. um, yeah teach them how to do things. And sometimes that works really well. Mm. It's been interesting on the sidelines to see you know every now and again Les gets somebody who you know really catches on mm. to what it what she's trying to teach them and mm. and just seeing how much of a difference it makes in their lives and basically a whole new world opens up for them you know because they can save and that then because they've saved they can mm. do things they mm. couldn't do before and mm. they've got money in the bank and mm. you know, no debt and yeah it's just different so different for them isn't it yeah exciting yes and the old one keeps in contact with her mm. yeah that's cool We've talked in the past about how doing these different, these acts of service, you actually learn about yourself as you go. Mm. What have you learned about yourself through doing that work? That you have a limited capacity and you can't fix everything. And mm. that, <laughs> and that mm. um, yeah, and that you haven't actually got the energy to to do everything, but Little by little, you can make a difference. So, mm. so you need to figure out what it is that you um, that you can do, and then put some boundaries around that. Um, mm. I think particularly so that I've found with the various things that I've done, so that you have energy for your family. Um, mm. Otherwise, they're the ones that miss out. You can be rushing around helping other people all day, and then not have the energy to do a good job at home and I and I think I fell into that trap sometimes mm. um, and of course as I've got older and the stamina has diminished even more then those are the things to look at what mm. what is it I'm doing and why am I doing it and um, yeah is it making a difference I guess yeah I think sometimes you've you've learned too that some people don't get it and it doesn't work for them mm. and it's not your fault yeah yeah, and sometimes helping is not helping. Um, that's another thing I learned. Mm. That um, or depends what the help looks like. Mm. But um, one particular client I remember, um, her debt wasn't big, but you know, trying to clear it for her, and I, you know, more or less said, okay, let's, I'll pay this off, and we'll start again. But in no time at all, she was back in debt, so it it wasn't teaching her the skills. Yeah to deal with her situation. It was just me feeling really sorry, mostly for her kids. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And so having really good motivations for it, but, mm. but it not actually being a a long-lasting change. Yeah. Um, being more of a Band-Aid. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's really big. On to you, Dad. You have spent a lot of the last number of years involved with 0800 Hungry. Before we get to what that is and, and why you're doing it, First of all, the the opportunity to do that came about because you 
were working five days a week and you managed to convince your employer to let you go down to four days a week for the same pay. Can you tell us how you did that? Because <laughs> I'm sure our listeners would like to know. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, I guess they must have thought I was worth it, which is nice. <laughs> but um, yes, I, I had it just got to a point where my part of my job was changing. I, um, I spent probably about four or five days a month uh, travelling down to Timaru from Christchurch and and uh, working for the Ford dealer down there. And then they decided they would have their own person. So that basically that part of my job was disappearing and I was 55-ish, somewhere around there at that stage and, and at the stage where I felt like I didn't want to fill those hours up with somebody else's, uh, shall I say, scungy jobs or something, yeah. <laughs> something that somebody else didn't want. Yeah. And uh, maybe I could do four days. Why yeah. don't I put the suggestion forward and I did and and they accepted they accepted <laughs> cool oh, well. and and then what was it for you that like a lot of a lot of people if they'd managed to get themselves in that position and I mean you're an avid golfer it would have been really easy for you to go cool I'll just spend a day extra a week playing golf what was it for you that went no actually that's not what I want to do yeah well, that's a good question I there was just uh, a little voice inside, uh, I guess, saying, maybe God talking to me, um, that I didn't want to spend that day selfishly, I guess. Mm. A lot of the things I've done in my life, looking back, have been sort of for me, uh, sort of selfish things, I, I think. And I'd never really done any service, community service sort of things, mm. uh, voluntary jobs. And so I thought, oh, I'll look around and see see what voluntary things there are out there that you can do. And <laughs> you start looking, there's actually a million of them. Mm, um, yeah. And then you've got to try and decide, you know, what is it you actually would like to do? And uh, I actually stumbled across the 0800 Hungry uh, Food Organisation. Uh, it's a food bank uh, here in Christchurch. And I'd never heard of them before, but just a friend of Les had mentioned what about these people and so I contacted them and went along and to see uh, whether that's what I wanted to do and that was 2009 and where are we 2021 mm. now so been there ever since and I guess life changing in, in, in many ways uh, in terms of uh, yeah it really um, has grounded me, I guess, and, and um, made me realise how lucky, how fortunate I've been in my upbringing. Mm. Uh, when you... Uh, we're basically delivering food parcels to, to people around Christchurch is, is what it involves. And uh, you go into to homes that you... And, and families living in situations that really you had no idea existed. Mm. Uh, you come across poverty that in the back of your mind people said existed but you didn't really believe them. Uh, I, I think with the the upbringing that I had, and Liz pretty much the same, I didn't realise that the situations that people lived in, I think people things are much worse now than they were when, when I was at school, but when I was at school I just thought everybody had the same sort of families that I did. Mm. 
uh, same sort of upbringing, and, and they went home to uh, nice uh, two-parent families and were well-fed and had lots of fun, And uh, but certainly that's not true now. Mm. There's a lot of stigma or there's a lot of, I guess, presuppositions people have about the sorts of people that get food parcels. What would you like people to know about the people that get food parcels? Well, the majority of the people that get food parcels are in a, in a pretty desperate situation, many of them. Uh, some of the people who get them are really just taking advantage of of the, this basically free food they can get mm-hmm. with no strings attached, which is how this uh, 0800 Hungary operates. All, you, all they need is a $5 donation, and they, get, they could get a couple of hundred dollars worth of food, couldn't they? Um, but a lot of the people, the places that that uh, we go into, because Les has been helping me with this for the last four or five years, and you go in there and it could be uh, hardship caused by the earthquake going back that far. Mm. It could be hardship, you know, the, the times we're living in now, people that have uh, just lost a job all of a sudden, uh, just... Uh, health issues, mm-hmm. uh, unexpected health issues, uh, or it could be just that's the environment that these people have lived in all their life. We go to people who maybe three generations living in the same house and normal for them is nobody working, normal for them is not much food around, not much money around, that's just how it is. In a lot of a lot of places, nobody, you can see that they haven't even been taught the skills of how to how to live, how to run a house, look after a house, uh, what to do with their money. What to do with their money? Yeah, well, it's mm. the same as we were talking about before with Liz, but uh, it's it's difficult. Uh, it, we you do come across um, quite a number of people in those situations who are really really trying. Mm. They're trying hard. They're you can see they've got a little veggie patch outside the door. Uh, their house is clean. Um, they're trying hard to make ends meet, but they just can't do it. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough. Uh, I, don't, I haven't got the answer, mm. uh, but it's it's tough. I think that's been one of the big things talking to you about it in the past is that, again, there's this perception out there that if there are people that are struggling that much, it's their own fault because they're lazy or, mm-hmm. you know, but... But hearing you talk about these people who are actually just really, really trying mm. and just nothing is working because all the cards are stacked against them. Mm. Um, and it seems like no matter what they do, they just go from one bad situation to another. Mm. Um, oh. And realising that's actually what it's like for some people, you start to go, well, actually, is the system broken then? Mm. You know, it, mm. The system is broken, but I, yeah, as I say, I, don't, I haven't got the answer to how mm. to fix it because it's such a big system. Yeah, and it's um, it's the whole culture. I don't know what the word is. That, just how our society runs, mm. and and it's sort of embedded. I guess small changes over a period of time will will fix it. You could throw a lot of money at a lot of these people, and it it might not actually mm. solve the the basic mm. problems. Uh, but some places we we go to, we go in there and and come out and and we just look at each other and say, because we know how many children are living there, mm. and we say there are children living there that you know 
they're coming home to school to this. You mm. know, it's just terrible. Mm. You wonder how much chance they've got in life. You, you look at the kids there and you think they need to get lucky. They need a teacher to see the talent in them or or, mm. to, or somebody else just to, to give them a chance to get out of there or they need to be that sort of person that somehow in the midst of that they've got the oomph themselves to get them out of it. Mm. But yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, you talk about how how hard it is and, and how even heartbreaking it can be. Mm. What hope do you see in that space in terms of, I guess, what keeps you doing this? You know, been doing it since, say, 2009. Mm. Why do you keep doing it? Well, I guess over that period of time we have seen people who... And because when we go around, we we're always praying during the week and before we go, and and when we're there, about finding people that we can encourage somehow, even if it's just for that day. Mm. Or is there someone that I sort of talk about God pulling my heartstrings mm. and saying, you know, this person needs something more than you're giving them today. Can you do something else for them? Mm. Uh, and we've had a few people like that over the years. That looking back. You'd like to think you've actually changed their lives. Can't mention any names, of course, but mm. <laughs> yeah. um, you know I can think of a, a young lady seen after the earthquake, and, and she was probably the first person like that, uh, I guess, because that was I hadn't been doing deliveries that long. She had had to shift because of the earthquake, and she she was a solo mother with a young boy who was under five or mm. about. Uh, quite young mm. anyway, and the rent was too much where they were, and I, mean, I walked in there, to, I was doing it on my own then, but I to deliver this parcel and went in there and, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing in terms of the situation she was living in. I think she showed me what was in her fridge, which was nothing, Yeah. Uh, and um, I remember looking at her footwear and <laughs> thinking, you know, they were just sort of old sort of running shoe type things and, and they just had holes and they're just sort of hang, flopping around hanging on there and I'm, I do a bit of running and I was thinking I've got my old worn out running shoes at home that, that are better than those. Mm. <laughs> Maybe I could bring her a pair of shoes. Uh, but it ended up we, we um, I, took, I think I came home and talked to Liz about it and we decided we should go back and you know buy some more food and take some more back and, mm. and I can't remember if we took her some shoes, yep. <laughs> might have My taken old. some old ones of Les's which are more likely to fit mm. uh, and yeah we just kept in touch with her over a number of years just helping from time to time. We still mm. know she's alive and mm. reasonably well and don't have any actual contact with her but uh, you know I'd like to think that we did change her life mm. around mm. and there's been a few others over the over the years too that we we might just uh, go back, buy a supermarket voucher, drop it back to them, go uh, something like that. Mm. Try and there's another case a bit more recent. It's around about or oh, a couple two or three years ago, and uh, there was a guy who was he, he had formerly been a successful businessman around town had not been short of money. Oh, the earthquake was the first thing that sort of changes things around in terms of how his life was going. But then in the intervening years, up up until two or three years ago, I don't know all the events of his life, but obviously he'd been overseas and back again. And, and when we came across him, he had a serious health problem. 
which had been unexpected, and so he obviously wasn't working, no money coming in. I can remember one day, we we delivered parcels two or three times or more to him over a period of time, but I remember one day we went there, knocked on the door, and he basically crawled to the door. It was the only way, because he had his back problem, mm. and so we went in and and uh, tried to <laughs> help him out, but he, he just wasn't well at all. I, I think mm. we probably thought he was going to die. Well. Mm. The various issues he had, uh, but gradually he did recover, and and, I, and uh, again we did a few extra things, you know, food and stuff, and then he 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 wanted or trying to get back on his feet, but he he had no money and he didn't want to go to to Wins and accept any support from them because he never, you know, it wasn't mm. something he'd ever done, and it was sort of out, you know, I'm independent, I can do it myself, and I'll get this this business running again somehow. This little idea he had, but. It just wasn't going to work, and I managed to eventually persuade him to go to Wins. And I, I mean, I went there with him. Not that I had any experience of dealing with him, but mm. I think it just helped to have somebody else there and a bit of moral support. Yeah, mm. and went to whatever bank he needed to have the right bank account to mm. get his payment. And and uh, I'd like to think he's back on his feet, but I, you know, I don't know what happened to him in mm. the end. But he was okay when I last saw him. But certainly uh, helped him get back on his feet and a few other instances yeah. like that along the way that yes. some sometimes that's a thing it's just a small thing like going with somebody to somewhere and being able to help them do something that's a bit daunting by yeah. themselves and yeah can you know it can make a difference it doesn't have to be a really big thing it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars mm. sometimes it's just a, a little push in the right direction can yeah. can make a change for people yeah. There's another lady quite recently, isn't it, that, that we're still in, in touch with who, it turned out, had some pretty traumatic events happen in her life and she was, uh, she'd got quite badly unwell and and had injuries to her back and so on, which meant she was pretty incapacitated and wasn't working. But yeah, we've been able to help her as well and, and, and uh, it was really encouraging to, uh, she said to to Liz one day that along the lines of we had just come into her life at the right time or something, what did she actually mm. say? Mm. Something like that. Because mm. there were some various, not only physical injuries, there were mental things mm. as well that she was struggling with. So that was really, really good to hear. Mm. I guess that that sums up a lot of the sort of people too, that their situations are complex. Mm. It's not one thing or another, it's multiple things mm. that are just complicated, overlapping layers of hardship. And that's why it's great that there's people like you guys and, and the rest of the people that work for 0800 Hungry who are prepared to get out there and, and help out in that way. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's so many other things we could talk about. Um, we won't get time to do all of them, but um, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, Mum, was you, you've done quite a bit over your life of journeying with people who whether they're friends or people you've met through church or mm-hmm. or what it is, just journeying with people who just are in tricky spots, mm. uh, whether it's mentally, whether it's financially, whether it's um, health, all those kind of things. Uh, and I guess an observation of mine is that you've seemed to do it not by yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just tell us a bit about that and why is it that you pair up with, with a friend and, and go and help people and... Um, I mean, some of the people that you're journeyed with are going to be listening to this. Yes. Um, and you've just 
spent a lot of time with them, mm. um, but you've done it with a friend. Yes, I think that with a friend thing means that you um, have have a more skills and resources, and you can also talk about what you're doing and why. You know, it just it mm. just kind of makes it a a thing that it, deliberate sounds wrong, but but you know a support that is working and is, isn't isn't us trying to feel good about helping someone you mm. know it's you you chat about what's best for them and it might be to just be in their lives and let them make their own decisions and just be around to listen and to guide and what have you you know you can't actually run someone else's life mm. um, and particularly in cases where people have mental health issues or um, illnesses and yeah sometimes just being there through thick and thin is all you need to do yeah um, but yeah working with someone else well working doesn't even sound right either but <laughs> but being with someone else as you're seeking to help and be an influence in someone's life just gives you that yeah sense of community mm. um, the idea that that we do care about people. It matters how someone's doing in life. We're not just doing our lives on our own and and not caring about how everyone else is getting along. Um, and yeah, sometimes just very small things can make a difference. Mm. Do you think it helps with, like a number of our guests have talked about um, wanting to journey with people and not come in and be a saviour. Mm. Do you think having the the other person with you makes that easier to not feel like it's all on you to get this right. Yes, I think that's true. And and also to not think of them as a project. Yeah, cool. You know, I'd I'd like to think of myself as a friend, not not how you know, how can we fix this for someone? Mm. Um and I think that, you know, having someone else involved keeps it, it mm. more at that level that that you're just mm. a bunch of friends getting together over a coffee or whatever and and that's sometimes all we need to do life together. Yeah. Um, just just popping in and out of each other's lives and, and chatting about things. Um, yeah. Has it helped you, and I don't know how much you want to talk about this or not, mm. but has it helped you that you've had your own journey with anxiety and, and you know, struggling with some of those kind of mm. things that you've then got empathy for people? Yes, absolutely. I think the fact that I've experienced not coping and having to take medication is is a big thing because I'm a person who likes to be thought of as a coper. One of my unbearable feelings, if you like, we, mm. when we did that kind of thing, is looking incompetent. I, I like to be organised and I like to be in control. And God has used this in a way to say, well, you just can't. Mm. N- nobody can, in fact. That's not how life works. But having anxiety issues makes you very aware of that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has helped. It, and it, help, it helps you be kinder about how other people are and what they're going through um, because you know that you have days where you're just not coping mm. and everything's hard. I think empathy is the thing to just be able to put yourself in other people's circumstances and mm. think about what that would be like for them having to make the choices that they've got to make in their life 
you know you can't you you actually can't manage everything and make it work mm. it's not it's not how it goes really yeah so you think i can blame you for my uh, <laughs> my anxiety <laughs> issues given that my unbearable feelings are looking incompetent <laughs> and, and having to have everything organized um, probably any <laughs> yeah cool glad we got to the bottom of that one yeah <laughs> and um, you can blame your granddad for being a perfectionist yeah <laughs> and for shouting about things that didn't go right yeah yeah um yeah like i say there's so many things that you guys have been involved in we had a lady talk to us a few weeks ago about mm. angel tree and you've been a lot involved in angel tree over the last few years you guys have mentored young people over the mm. years, right from when I was a kid. You know, we had mm. teenagers in our house all the time that you guys were mentoring. Knitted um, blankets for orphanages, <laughs> uh, looking after your elderly neighbour. You know, just the other mm. week I came around and you, mum, were out. You'd taken um, your elderly neighbour who's living by herself over to Littleton uh, for a bit of an outing. And, you know, just, just things like that. Um, mm. Dad, I remember you visiting some of the um, old guys from church when they went into rest homes and things. And, you know, as as I look at what you guys have done, there's been a lot of hard work. There's been a lot of sacrifices. Um, there's been some anxiety that has come with it. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I'm a, a different person for the, the things we've, we've been able to do. And, and you, it sort of opens your eyes to other possibilities um, that you wouldn't have I wouldn't have done 20 years ago uh, I would have just kept on doing my own thing mm. we just recently started to get our church involved in helping out with a local school mm. uh, and that was as a result of a challenge put out by one of your early podcast people Frank mm. Ritchie he I saw a, an, an article on stuff that he put on Facebook about poverty and kids and starting the school year and uh, I read that and then he had a little challenge at the bottom uh, something like uh, what are you and your church going to do about this which mm. I saw and then I just carried on and then I <laughs> thought I'd just ignore it for a few days mm. but in the end I couldn't and so we we got involved in helping out uh, financially and otherwise in the local one of the local schools which has just just uh, started this year and starting to do things that, again, that we hadn't done before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so just following, I guess, that voice of opportunity mm. uh, because you're tuned into the fact that there are needs in the world. I guess that's part of what it's all been, that responding to the voice inside. And, and for us, it's it's God. For other people, it might be something else. But mm. you know, we, we, we often don't respond to those things when when we see somebody or something that you could do something about we, we we're very good at letting somebody else do it mm. uh, we we talk about looking at people and things from god's perspective or through through god eyes mm. uh, look at the people that we're mixing with through god eyes and and you do see, see things differently and then you you just uh, as you change yourself you respond differently mm. and you're better for it yeah, I think, that, and again, that's another thing that's come through time and time again on the podcast is is treating people as people mm. and seeing that there's not, you know, good people and bad people and there's not whole people and broken people. There's mm. just people. Mm. Mm. And we're all being handed different life opportunities. Mm. We've all come from different situations and we've 
all made dumb decisions um, and we've all had things go wrong. But if we treat people as people, then it makes a, it can make a huge difference in the world. Mm. So thank you both for taking the time to talk to us. I know you guys were a bit nervous about doing this mm. because you're like, well, who are we? We're just some ordinary people. But actually that's the whole point of this podcast is that this is about ordinary people doing what they can to make a difference in the world. So um, thank you for the example that you've been for me and thank you for what you're doing to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. You're welcome, Andy. Thank you. Hello, hello heaven Will I hear you whisper to come near What a blessing these two are to me, to those around them, and now hopefully to you as you listen. There's too much here to unpack, but just a couple of thoughts. Uh, When Dad talked about the fact that his time serving others has changed him to be less focused on himself, it kind of blew me away a bit because I've always thought of him as someone focused on others. But to hear this from him just shows that there's always layers to shed, and there's always deeper places where we can find ourselves afresh. I also love how mum talked about not treating people as projects. It's a trap that so many fall into when trying to make a difference. But even people who are suffering and in the lowest spaces can tell when they're being treated as a person or a project. Treating them as a project is about making yourself feel better. Treating people as people is about making the world better. We also joked about my anxiety issues being mum's fault. Um, But actually mum was instrumental in encouraging me to seek professional help when I was at my lowest in depression. Uh, We talked about it then and and talked about her struggles and that helped me a lot and we've supported each other in that ever since. So thank you mum for that. Uh, We didn't even get to how they've taken young people in to live with them at times, um, how they've remained dedicated to the elderly in their church uh, and we also never really sorted out who was their favourite son. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not top of the list at the moment after the stress of being interviewed. But seriously, thank you both so much for sharing yourselves with us. As is my new custom, here is a blessing for you both. May you receive as much as you give. Generosity, friendship, aroha. As you feed the hungry, may your own souls be fed with hope, with life, and with joy. May old shoes always remind you that little things can make a difference, that compassion changes lives, that little voices lead the way. And each time you hear those little voices, those silent whispers in your heart, may you have the courage to listen and the wisdom to know what is required. When the help you give doesn't lead to what you hoped for, may you feel permission to shake it off, to release the weight, and to know in your heart as well as your head that it is not on you. With your eyes open to the reality that some face in life that differs so vastly from your own experiences, may your world be continually enlarged and your drive to do good in the world expand. In your ordinariness, your down-to-earth servant-heartedness, may you understand the inspiration that you are to so many. And may you know, as you feed the hungry, Love the outcasts and the prisoners, support those in debt, give to the needy 
enable the disabled, for all you do for others, you bring a lot of heaven down to earth. Thanks to Strawn for the music, Rangi for the karakia, and thank you all for listening. Tune in next time to hear my kōrero with young entrepreneur and social enterprise founder April McLennan. We talk about her journey into social enterprise straight out of school, the pressures and benefits of being so young, and her passion to release others into careers that will see them flourish. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humai kia mātou ai nei, e taroma mātou mō tēnei rā, Muro mātou hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga e harana kia mātou. Aua hoki mātou e kawea kia whakawaia, engari whakorangia mātou i te kino.